thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Suits and civs, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 140 of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever, and was recorded on Friday, October 7th, and made available for download Tuesday, October 11th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff, and Kinshadow disguised himself as a research badger and snuck off to CitizenCon, so we had to drag Henry out of the audio booth to fill in. And I'm Henry. Well, what do we have this week, Henry? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, we have space for everyone. Well, if you're in the UN, anyway. On the flight deck, we see what news has landed from your favorite space sims as we cover brief notes on CitizenCon, crowdfunding success and what it means for Dual Universe, all the good bits from Elite Colon Dangerous's Beta 2.2 feedback livestream, and it's here, it is here, it's finally here, Forever Patch 2.0 has finally been released for Infinity Battlescape. We then debate fully destructible universes, and finally we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. And speaking of the conversation, if you want to join in live and virtually present, remember that we will be doing a call-in show this week on October 14th. The main topic of conversation will be CitizenCon and what we learn from it. But we can discuss any space sim-related topic you'd like. Join us on TeamSpeak at 10 p.m. Central, 4 a.m. GMT. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Switch to normal. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Jeff saying welcome to the squawk box, everyone. As we discussed last week, the ability to go or send things into space is dependent on one major factor. Someone with a degree in rocket science. However, in order to hire rocket scientists, you need money. And then you need money to buy him a rocket so he can science it. And then you need to buy the fuel for the rocket so his science can work. And you better hope it works because mistakes cost even more money. You see where I'm going with this? While the U.S. is debating funneling money into NASA or leaving it in the private sector, there are many countries around the globe whose economies don't even make that an option. Not places suffering from massive poverty and oppression, just modern nations who don't have the resources. Do you know how hard it is to build a launch platform in the Swiss Alps? The United Nations Office for Outer Space Affairs has the answer. Recently, they announced plans to launch their first space mission in 2021. The mission will see the reusable Dream Chaser space vehicle launch into low Earth orbit with room for 20 to 25 laboratory stations. It will remain in orbit for about 14 days before returning to Earth. The UNOOSA is accepting proposals for experiments from any UN member nation. However, they will be giving priority to proposals from nations that don't have the resources to develop their own space programs. That's really cool. Yeah, I I thought this was neat. Because right now it's just us and Russia and China. China. China is a... You know, it's funny. Uh, there was a game that I really, really liked called Battlezone that came out yeah, that was a good from game. Atari. And the whole premise was the Chinese. It wasn't Russia. It was the Chinese that uh, got to the moon. And the battle was between us and the Chinese. 
oh. until the aliens showed up. It, as they do. As, as they tend to do, yeah. And, you know, the reason for NASA and the whole, you know, drive to land on the moon and the whole, the whole bit was primarily Russia. But uh, yeah. China is really the ones that will make strides. I think their rocket program or their space program is far ahead of Russia's. Yeah, although they recently hit a problem with one of their space stations. Yeah. Yeah, I'd heard about that. It's going to be coming back uh, to the planet soon, from what I hear. Yeah, except the theory is, of course, they can't confirm anything because the Chinese government isn't going to reveal it. But they believe they may have lost control of some of the station's attitude thrusters, which means there's a serious risk if it enters the atmosphere, it won't all burn up. Yeah, that's a scary thought. I mean, it's likely to hit the Pacific because it's the biggest target on the planet, but you never know. Yeah, but this thing sounded, I mean, it basically sounded like everything you were arguing for last week, Jeff, which because they're using a reusable spacecraft, and it's primarily a research mission. Well, yeah, and again, in last week's space news, you know, that capsule was SpaceX. They launched that escape capsule, and then they, oh, they feared that the rocket would be destroyed. It actually landed, too, so they had bonus successes there. Yeah, that's cool. The private industry's really been doing great things in space since it was opened up with guys like Burt Rattan and uh, Spaceship One and with Elon Musk's SpaceX. Really cool, exciting stuff. This is cool, too, though. I mean, this is a bunch of nations getting together and working together, and that's when we end up with the best projects. Look at the ISS that so many countries collaborated on. We're going to see a lot more like that. The uh, U.S. might not be as in charge of things, but that doesn't have to be a bad thing. No, and I don't think they really want to be in charge of things. Uh, the governments aside, I mean, NASA welcomes it. I'm, I know, you know, engineers and scientists are engineers and scientists all over the world. I mean, they love the to read each other's papers and pick apart theories and and all kinds of stuff. So I, I think it's a welcome endeavor. Plus, if this turns out to be successful, it could help with the larger picture because if. If these guys, if the United Nations program is doing some of the smaller science work, like just the research missions, then people like NASA or SpaceX or even Russia or China could take their larger bank of resources and focus more specifically on like the huge missions, such as getting to Mars or going back to the moon for whatever reason. Speaking of Mars, Elon Musk had a, a humongous uh, announcement testing out his uh, interplanetary rocket. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, press release on that. His Mars plan's really, uh, really, really looking good. Yeah, I'm on the wrong side of 35, I'm afraid, uh, right now. I'm, I'm kind of kicking, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, send me to Mars, but I am too old to go to Mars. <laughs> 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 well, I'll tell you, with Elon Musk's plan, he's not planning on sending you there to stay. He wants to set up uh, ships that would go back and forth, you know, so there'd always be a ship going and always be a ship coming back for every uh, instance that Mars is close. So, you know, with something like that, he says he wouldn't want people to go with the expectation that they couldn't come back. I heard something completely different. I, I heard it as, if you go, expect to die there. That's everyone else's plan. Uh, Musk's plan is different. That's okay. I can do the podcast for Mars. <laughs> there you go, man. You think you have trouble getting signal where you are now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll fix that. You know, I work for an, a broadband internet company. I can, I can, you know, string a fiber all the way there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That won't cause any problems like when the Earth and Mars are on opposite sides <laughs> of the sun. Yeah, we'll just we'll just have a big reel, you know, and we'll reel up the fiber. Red seen or heard something that you might think is interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for October 7th, 2016. $125.6 million, about 986,000. 1.542 million registered accounts, up about 4,200. 1.098 million ships in the UEE fleet, up about 700. These numbers will have changed dramatically by the time the show airs. Star Citizen canceled their usual The Verse shows in lieu of the CitizenCon livestream reveal. That will be old news to all of you by the time this episode airs, but we record on Fridays, so unfortunately we can't discuss any of the stuff they debuted. The only scrap we got was that certain backers, it seems like it was subscribers, concierge backers, and then CitizenCon attendees, got an email with a link that allowed them to preview and pre-purchase the RSI Polaris Corvette. The price offered in that case was $625, which was $125 off the stated regular price and a physical brochure. Yeah, that's that's really all we have. They literally held everything back until the reveal. My God, the cost of these digital... Oh. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't surprised, but I was a bit disappointed. Oh, I'm highly disappointed in the in directions that marketing or whatever it is they that they planned on. I'm not disappointed in Star Citizen. I'm just disappointed in the, you know. And it's funny because when Star Citizen goes live, we can earn all these ships in game. I mean, it's like yeah, but it's going to be cool to have uh, have some cool stuff when you start. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what comes out here at uh, at the convention. Uh, we should get some good reports from Kinshatter next week. Yep, along with anyone else that wants to call in. Which reminder. Call in. (laughs) Not a lot in the way of official news coming out from the Elite Colon Dangerous Camp this week, as all of their attentions are focused on making Guardians the best expansion it can possibly be. That said, there was a pretty extensive Beta 2.2 feedback stream with Sandro Samarco and Zach Antonassi, filling in for Ed. For those of you more familiar with Star Citizen, think of this as Elite's version of 10 for the X, although Elite's version clocks in at just about an hour long. As you can imagine, a lot of questions were asked and a lot were answered. Everything from will 2.2 fix the matchmaking system to our geysers broken. The answers are hopefully and no respectively, by the way. As always, we've gone through and cherry-picked a few of our favorites, but we'd encourage you to check out the full Q&A, and we'll include a link to the Reddit summary in our show notes. First up, space stations have been given a bit of a security boost, and commanders are saying that although making stations more powerful is a good start, on enforcing security, are we going to be seeing stronger security response in general to give meaningful variety to security levels? Sandrill and Zach say that they have significantly increased security instances based on security level, but that the real issue, trying to reclaim open for gankers, is part of a bigger question of what playstyles Frontier thinks are valid. They don't think the answer is to keep piling on security, but have discussed a karma system for combat logging where there are big ships are rating disparity. It's not straightforward and there's lots of tracking required to get those right penalties in place there. Next up, commanders asked, 
Are there any plans to change those AI NPC spawns and behavior in combat zones? Currently, there are times when multiple enemy AI spawn near or at the player, with their next move being instantly targeting the player and opening fire. The dynamic duo tell us that a big part of what's next is to address the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay. The points raised were valid, and you can guard against them to some degree, however there's nothing immediately on the table. If they get a chance, they'll be looking at things like this. One commander wanted to know if we were going to be getting multiple fighters as the previous dev post, and even the lore to some extent had indicated. Zack and Sandro say that uh, they had some technical issues. It's not the end of the world, but there were design balancing issues too. In the future, they hope to include it, but not right now. Another popular question which has also been floating around the forums is the issue of modules and the space they take up. One commander asked, with limitations on the number of modules that can be stored, how about engineer recipes get stored as data alongside module storage to free up physical storage space? Something that we here at Guard Frequency ag agree with. Well, good news, everyone. This is getting fixed. So now, more fears are having 75% of the things you need to do upgrades not taking up the precious cargo base space while a random 25% decides that it needs to. This also means that with reduced hauling capacity, you're no longer such a permanent target for those annoying NPCs' interdictions. And finally, one commander wanted to know, can I be a Thargoid? To which they replied, they don't exist. But even if they did, how would I know you're not one already? And it should be noted that the Q&A, the written portion, is huge, and we will be providing links in the show notes. Yeah, there was a lot of good stuff in there. We really had to pare it down to get uh, just a few good points here, but there was a ton in that FAQ or that Q and A. So I have to admit, as a as a non-elite player, a lot of this seems to be detail that I can't expound upon. Well, you should play elite. Yeah, I'm I'm doing the Care Bear version and just working my way through X3 right now. Yeah, that was a great ah. game too. But as much as uh, uh, everything you can do in that, I mean, you're pretty much able to do in elite, except for. Uh, you know, running your corporation with a lot of ships, but the trading in Elite's pretty good. I, I made probably 200 million last week just going back and forth, Sothis and Seos, and then Exploration. Yeah, I, I kind of miss the whole big capital ship thing in that X3 allowed me, but, uh, you know, that's, that's okay. So, to that point, the carrier ships that players can use can only hold one fighter right now for now for now what i'm seeing is uh what we just read in the q a as we said was they had some technical issues but i'm sure that'll be coming you can already hire multiple crew members but you can only take one with you at a time i'm sure it's them waiting on you know time for the programmers to enable that because that's that's going to be some work for them originally when i when we first read about it i was i was just checking my mail for some of the backlogged um newsletters that elite sends out was that um Different fighters can do different things, so you may want to have multiple fighters in your hold, but it looked like you could only launch the one fighter, and there was talk on the newsletter about them doing more, but still looks like it's going to be a single fighter kind of deal. That's going to be cool for combat pilots, but for explorers like me, I'm looking forward to some of the other things that we didn't touch on, like the, the new installations that you'll find out in space. There are some ruins scattered around planets now. There's a lot more to find when you're out looking around. And I think some of those ruins that I saw might be alien. It was hard to tell. They looked like they were made of sand or uh, uh, mud or something like that on these airless worlds. The update's really going to have a lot of content for everybody, explorers included, I think. Now, is this a uh, patch or another purchasable expansion? 
This is all supposed to be part of 2.2 that's coming out this month. Oh, neat. I think adding more for us to find in exploration is really going to be a big boon for, for Elite. I think that's something that's really missing. Of course, I'm excited to see them playing with the policing of the uh, secure systems, too. I mean, trying to reclaim those systems from uh, from the campers in, in open mode is... Uh, it's like they said they're going to be difficult, but I think it's a step in the right direction, uh, beefing up station security. Yeah, they got to be careful. As much as I hate griefers like that, the the you know where the big fish and the and those with the with the money and stuff that pick on the little fish, I'm still against an overhanded hand of God, so to speak. Nanny state is the popular derogatory term for it, I believe. Well, think about it like this. If you're talking about you want to be a pirate, you want to play a pirate in Elite, so you want to pop traders, you want to pop explorers and take their cargo, that's cool. But in reality, shouldn't you be stuck in the outlying low-security sectors and have a hard time when you come into the core systems? Yes, I agree uh, that you should You should be. And there should be regular patrols of you know system security and all that uh, within, the, within the high sec, uh, sectors. I mean, that's, Absolutely. That I... As a pirate, if I were a pirate, I would. I, it would scare me to go into a high sec. But it would be fun to run through them. It would be fun to pop in and see if you could get somebody before the cops show up. But it would be cool for the explorer that's just getting back if there was a possibility the police were coming to help. One of the issues that I've always had. So when you go and rob a bank, if you're if you're wearing a mask, right, and you drive a getaway car, what is the most descriptive thing that witnesses tell the police? It's the getaway car. It's not the pilot or the driver. It's the getaway car, right? So I've always had a problem that IFF always identify. You know, your your ship registry gets scanned, and it's the ship that should be looked out for. So if you could get back to your base and change ships, then you have a lower degree of recognition, or you should, in my mind. Absolutely, that sounds cool. Uh, so that you could go and do other things while you're while the heat's on your other ship i mean that that always made sense to me i mean because pilot uh rosters can be forged and and i mean how do they know it's you and you're jumped into another ship and all of a sudden your your security rating goes with you kind of thing and that just never made quite a bit of sense to me it's been a busy week for the folks ever at inove studios the creators of infinity battlescape as finally, Forever Patch 2.0 has landed, better known as Pre-Alpha 0.1.6.0, the patch was released on Tuesday, around the same time as episode 139 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever was released to the public. If you're a backer with developer access, then you're going to want to head over to Infinity Battlescape website and download the latest installer, as this patch requires a manual update to the launcher. Though Flavian insists, the game itself should upgrade automatically. This update brings with it a plethora of new content and bug fixes. Full patch notes can be found over at iNovi websites. Links, as always, will be in the show notes, but we did want to highlight a few things that caught our attention. Factory and militia bases have been added across the three moons of the test system. The interceptor, bomber, and corvette cockpits have received some TLC. Ambient and button lighting has been added to the interceptor and bomber cockpits. A static NPC hauler near the spawning station has been added, just used as decoration for now until the AI gets in place in Alpha. Reduce the atmospheric density of Cinder, the volcanic moon, which in turn should increase the atmospheric top speed. 
and reduced the minimum warp speed requirements from 1.5 kilometers per second to 250 meters per second. This should help pilots to enter warp more quickly at lower altitudes. I know they have been quick to follow up by saying that this is likely the only patch we'll get in October as they finish up the thorn in the side of so many space sims, the netcode. They're also finishing up the UI, which they hope to also start integrating in November. Finally, iNove also gave us a brief look into the future. They want to get the Alpha out as soon as possible, so the next items coming our way will be the weapons and resource systems. After Alpha is launched, the lesser systems will be continually refined, leading us up to Beta. Finally, after Beta, there'll be a polish and optimization pass before the eventual release, but for right now they're just taking it one day at a time while keeping an eye on the prize, shipping Infinity Battlescape. There are some screenshots, I believe, of the revised cockpits, or it could be one of the ships. I'm not sure what the focus is supposed to be, but those will be in the show notes along with the links that were mentioned. game looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'd, I'm interested in the gameplay because it, it seems like it's almost it's PvP-focused, but it's got some extra stuff to it, and it's persistent. It sets it a little bit apart from a lot of the other things that are out there. Yeah, I've just been following videos and screenshots of it. It looks like it's going to be fun. I typically wait till things are a little further along. With the Forever patch coming out now, it's time to get it, I think. Well, as of midnight on October 8th, Central European time, Dual Universe reached its funding goal. That's right, the world will soon have another space sim in active development. Note, however, that Dual Universe will actually be doing what Chris Roberts was initially planning with Star Citizen, and they're going to be using their Kickstarter games to go out and solicit interest from other investors. So that might take some time. After releasing their video responses to some of their AMA questions, NovaQuark released a textual list of responses, and it is huge. Around 120 questions answered across two posts in their forums. As this is pre-alpha, a lot of the answers are variations on we thought about that, but we don't know how to implement it yet, or that's a neat idea, we'll see if we can fit it in, after release. However, there are some questions that receive meatier answers. Some of the highlights, yes, we're doing this a lot today, include, their current design plan is that building a ship will require a few days work, that's real days, not in-game days, and will involve gathering the resources, as well as building intermediate devices, such as 3D printers and assembler machines. However, if you wait for other players to do this and simply buy the pre-made elements, actually assembling the ship will be a matter of a few minutes. Lua scripting will be powerful, but you won't have to know coding in order to play. NovaQuark has said that basic in-game functions, such as flight controls for ships, will have default scripts automatically in place, and there are hard limits on what the scripts can do. You can't modify the power of weapons or engines, for example. Automated defenses are also a point of debate at the moment. They are implementing a fairly strong rights management system that will limit other players' ability to take actions in your on-planet territory and or your constructed structures and ships. Along with their AMA answers, NovaQuark released a gameplay demo showing multiple different players collaborating to construct a single-player ship. They also wrote up a fairly detailed piece about how they are currently approaching character customization and advancement. We may cover that in a later show, but for now, interested listeners could check out the update section of Dual Universe's Kickstarter page. It was funny because their AMA answers sounded a lot like 
the early days of Star Citizen when everyone would be asking, hey, how does this work? Hey, how's this going to work? And almost all of the answers will be, uh, we hadn't quite figured that out yet. As much as I understand the fair gaming limits or or stuff, but one of these days we're going to get a game that that really mimics reality, and the and reality is is that the limitations based on your ship's engines and ship's sensors and all the other things that are on your ship are are the current technology that you currently have, or uh, your smarts as an engineer and and I you know you remember um, Firefly? Yep. And the and the engineer that they had uh, getting more power out of that out of uh, Serenity's engines was a piece of cake for her, you know. Or Scotty uh, working on the Enterprise, Captain. It's going to take me four days, and and uh, Captain going, you got two hours, and Scotty going, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you see, my point is that that yeah. we want our games to mimic reality only so far as they long they allow fair play across the entire universe well yeah because the i mean the thing is most people playing games want an alternate reality because the reality is that in real life you know if this if the game literally followed real life you'd have 90 percent of the players just you know hauling rocks around every day yeah that's 10 percent of them yeah. flying ships so that's yeah true. And combat would last for seconds and you'd be dead for good yeah to your point though they do have, like, actual skill progression. Like, they introduced a lot more of the MMO gameplay back in, whereas a lot of space sims seem to be jettisoning it in favor of pure skill-based systems. Right. So, like, you won't be able to craft certain higher-level items or machines. Because your engineering skill level is not that high. Right. Yeah. Or you won't be able to find certain elements because your you know efficiency with the scanner isn't good enough. And, and I'm I'm fine with that as long as it doesn't take you seven years to earn that level three. As much as I bash Eve, and I played Eve for a long time, the one the one thing that I liked about Eve was their skill the early skill based system i don't later one was you know they really messed it up but the the main thought was there is that you would start a skill training like you were going to school and while you were offline that skill was still training now you could only do one skill at a time which was reasonable because really you're not in game doing anything to advance that skill but still it allowed you to set these things up when you were going offline and you know away you go so that's the one thing that eve did really well was her skill system the developer here does like eve a lot and he said it's one of the major influences so it's possible something similar to that may end up in the game i'm worried about this lewis scripting thing though in what way what do you mean it's sort of a dangerous precedent i think well, because we've had Lewis script. We we can do Lewis scripting on many online games, but mostly they relate to HUD position or uh, UI modifications or color changes. You know that kind of stuff. I I'm not sure what they intend for the Lewis scripting. It's for automating uh, actions. They have that in Space Engineers. It's great. I don't think it's Lua though. I think it's some kind of C language. Yeah, but this in this one, like the Lewis scripting's all over the place and. They've said they were going to limit 
what exactly they could do. So, like, you can't Lewis script your gun to be an, a one-shot kill amazing weapon, but they were debating how much it would be able to control, like, automated defenses, for example. And they were talking about you could sort of even, if you got really into it, it sounded like you could sort of use the Lewis scripting to create your own flight model for your ship and, like, modify how it was responding to certain inputs. That's interesting. I thought it was going to be more like the scripting in Space Engineers that allows you to build autonomous drones, um, things like that, equipment with sensors, and then write code that actually gives it uh, its own AI. I didn't know you could rewrite your flight model. That's really interesting. But it could totally be exploited. Right. Well, that's that's the thing that sort of worries me, is that they seem to be giving the Lewis scripting a lot of power, and I wonder how long and how well they're going to be able to achieve that balance where it's powerful enough to be useful, but it doesn't create a vast divide between players who can script and players who can't. I'm sure like anything else, we'll end up with a, a lot of scripts available and kind of like the workshop type of thing um, that they have for Steam or however they're going to be distributing those scripts. But you'll have a few players that write really good scripts that everybody probably uses. And I think that any concerns will be washed out in alpha. I mean, that's what the whole alpha testing will be for. They'll find... You know, I think scripting should be limited to, you know, changes in, in your UI or setting up your controller or or the color of your laser or even some random random actions like mining or some drudgery that you might want to macro or script for. Beyond that, I think it's it's dangerous. Yeah, the idea of being able to script the flight dynamics of your ship is a little iffy to me if it's going to be a PvP situation. I mean, in a PvE scenario, a single-player-only game, it's personally whatever you want to do in you know, Space Engineers games like that. You're by yourself most of the time. I don't think it matters, but in a place where it's a lot of PvP... You're right. If you, if you want to cheat in your single-player game that's on your computer, go for it. But if, you, if, if you're... You know, there has to be an even playing field, which gets back to my you know, desire about <clears throat> the reality of things. In online games, because the reality of things is that if people feel like they're not getting a good service or that they can play the game uh, with other players and without being overshadowed or picked on or dealt, they won't come back. They won't play your game. Yep, that's true of all. That's true of any MMO. Once people feel like they just can't do anything, they're going to get griefed or whatever, they're gone. But now it's time for news we didn't use. For those interested in the Early Access Institution, PC Gamer has obtained a copy of the Steam Early Access Rules for Developers. Links will be in the show notes. The Aegis Saber won the final ship poll over at CIG and was on sale prior to CitizenCon. Eve colon Valkyrie gets a new co-op mode in the most recent update. More No Man's Sky drama as subreddit moderator Rogue Wolf deleted our No Man's Sky the game saying it has become a hate-filled waste hole of no actual discussion. In the wake of the backlash that generated, the subreddit has reopened under new management. (laughs) 
what could they possibly be doing with the new subreddit? Why would they reopen it after everything that went down? What else is there to talk about? That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, people, haters got to hate. If you want to, I don't know. I, I think sub, I think Reddit has become a, well, uh, I won't. A great place where people say wonderful things about guard frequency. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, enough hating on No Man's Sky. I mean, I think everything's been said. It's interesting that the uh, subreddit was shut down. Really don't see why they reopened it, but you know, I don't see it uh, evolving much now after release. Yeah, well, the developer at one point shortly after release said that it was basically the game he was aiming for. So that pretty much puts the nail in that coffin. Yeah. Well, and that's fine. If that's the, if that's the game developer's vision, if the game developer created the game that they wanted to create, it's up to the public to determine whether that game was good or not. And not, and really, nothing else can be said. Yeah, and honestly, the story wasn't bad if you can get past kind of the, the way it was told. It was completely open. There wasn't much direction. But from what I saw of the actual story, and I, I'm not going to finish the game. I watched the end of the game on YouTube, you know. Uh, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but I'll say it's not a bad story, but the presentation really was no good. And that may that story may have been what he means. His vision was that story, and it was a it was a good story. I get it. Yeah, I have a vision for a game that I would love if I had the skills and the and the time and the money. I would love to build a, a new space sim. But me being the lead developer and stuff, I would want everybody to like it, and I would weigh my vision of the game against what people want, and I would try to achieve what people want while still maintaining my my vision of the game but I'm just driven that way some developers are stuck in the mud and going ah no this is what I wanted and you know F you if you think you're going to change my vision well he wasn't quite that confrontational I think it was just I think it was more shock like he he genuinely didn't understand why everyone had so much hate for the game it's a sad story but you know indie developers they get a chance to get their stuff out there that they didn't have years ago it's a shame that something like this happens and kind of crushes this guy's dream like this but you know if he's happy with it and some people get it a lot of people have played it and finished it some people get it maybe that's enough dual universe and imperium have something that is far more unique among the space sim genre unless you count space engineers a fully destructible customizable universe in these games the sky isn't even a limit if you want a millennium falcon build yourself one if you want a death star go for it you probably aren't getting the super laser. If you really want a 315P, just pull up a screenshot and start transliterating. Or just design that perfect spaceship, space station, or moon base you've always been imagining. But with perfect freedom comes perfect douchebags. Naysayers point out that it will only be a matter of time, and probably a short amount of it, before such games will have fleets of genitalia starships flying around. Apart from that, how much immersion can one really achieve if they walk into a landing pad and find six X-Wings, four mini battle stars, and a TARDIS? And all of this, by the way, is at much lower visual fidelity than they prefer in a AAA space sim. Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to bait for us completely customizable universes. Ostron never even bothers to change the default desktop background and on computers he owns, whereas every couch Henry has ever owned is modular. So Henry, why is infinite customization the way to go? Anything that adds, you know, more to do in a game is going to be good for it. 
I get the negatives that uh, you just mentioned, but think about it. We're going to be playing that game that's a block building game. We're going to be building things. It's not really a space simulation. Space simulation is a game like Elite, a game like Star Citizen. This is more like a block building game. So you'll get all those negative things, but you'll know you're getting that when you play. And Osteron, your rebuttal to that? Well, I see your point about customization, but if it's not a sim, then you shouldn't advertise it as sim, which a lot of these games are doing. I mean, it's possible you'd be able to avoid all of these people who are making crazy starships or copied starships, but in order to do that, you'd have to get really far away from the main game, at which point, why bother playing in an MMO at all? And Henry, how do you respond? That's a good point, but you're, you know, it's... You're making a good distinction between a simulator and a game, and these are definitely more arcade style games. And I think those games have a place as well uh, for flight sim fans. It's something that's not as... Uh, doesn't have the same bar of entry that you have with a game like Elite, so people will be out flying their starfighters and shooting and having fun. Um, and it's going to bring more people to the genre. And Ostron? Well, I think you said it yourself. If the game isn't doesn't have the fidelity to be a sim it's not bringing people to the space sim genre this type of game belongs in its whole separate category because it just doesn't have the chops to hang with the other triple a spaces thank you gentlemen I'm going to have to go on the on Ostron on this. And the whole idea of, of sim simulations in space is the fact that we are trying to recreate a universe or, or an area, thought, uh, memory, whatever you want to call it, of what it's like to live in space and fly in space and interact with other people in space. If we have flying vaginas all around, then we're going to be ending up thinking we are in somebody's warped Henry Warhol painting. I think we're all making the same point, honestly. I'm just saying that I think these games have their place, but they're, they don't compete with the AAA Space Sims. But I do think people will play them and get the feel of flying a starship and enjoying flying a fighter and might even pick up a joystick and ditch the mouse and keyboard control because it's more intuitive and more fun. And it really kind of adds to our audience, you know. I think all games have their place. It's like saying Batman Arkham Asylum was a great game, but Lego Batman doesn't belong. And they're both good games, you know, they're just different. The debate then really becomes, is it a space sim, which you're saying no, and I think Jeff would be quick to agree, but they're still being marketed as space sims. That's true, but you can you can have a space sim role play in that environment. I mean, I play space engineers constantly. I play that game in uh, creative mode all by myself, play creative mode, build great things, and then switch to uh, regular mode where you can die. I forget what it's called, but I turn off creative mode. And it's a great game, you know, you set up your own scenario and then you play through it. Sure, everything's blocky and it's not as awesome looking as something like Elite or Star Citizen, but you're still on a space adventure. It's a lot of fun. I think part of the problem why we why we look at these games and go, oh, that would be kind of cool, is because we want X-Wing versus TIE Fighter back. Or we want yeah. to have that original Wing Commander experience back. We're nostalgic for some of the earlier stuff that we played and we would love to have them back. So joining one of these games and building an X-Wing would be, oh, this is cool, but like, if I have to battle a capital penis, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go, this is not for me. <laughs> I mean, we don't really see a lot of that kind of stuff 
being built in in Space Engineers, which is the only of these block building games that I've really played, because it's all through the Steam Workshop. So what you see uh, other players do and become available through the workshop is always things that are censored, I guess, or appropriate. That's sort of the point, though. Is Space Engineers is still large? I mean, it's not really instanced per se, but it's it's mostly individuals working on their own projects. Right, or small teams or groups. Right. This is going to be one self-contained universe that everybody's playing in the same area at the same time. So, like, if you've got people that just decide that the penis fleet is the way to go, (laughs) you can try to avoid them, but you can't ignore the fact that they're still there. I think that's the major difference. It is hard to ignore a space wiener. Okay, well, now you know our thoughts on that. We want to hear yours. So this week's community question, is a fully destructible universe with free-form construction the key to endlessly emerging gameplay and player engagement? Or does it impose unacceptable limits on fidelity and immersion? Does such a system have benefits or drawbacks that we didn't cover? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. Now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune in the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say people often go looking for the deeper meaning in the some say section, and then if you stare hard into his beard, his beard stares back at you. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he helped put together this week's feedback. Should imbalanced game mechanics be exploited to quickly force developers to take action, or do the developers respond to written reports just as quickly and exploiting the mechanics is nothing more than griefing? Perhaps you have a different perspective you think we missed? Heaven W starts us off and goes, yeah, but seriously, Jolteon shouldn't get trashed by Vaporeon. I have no idea what bearing that has on the conversation. Ken from Chicago says, after several clear-cut answers, I have to revert to it depends. First of all, you omitted PvE, imbalanced game mechanics. You only discussed PvP ones. Also, it depends on if the devs have notified players should not exploit an imbalance in a mass email or notice, not some easily missed tweet or some arcane forum. If yes, the devs have made that kind of mass announcement in email or in the launcher of the game that you can't miss, then no, don't use the imbalance mechanic. If no, the devs made an announcement Uh, then the mechanics should be used. You're not exploiting part of the game. That's like you're saying exploiting water tension to jet ski on the water surface instead of a personal water sub. If it's a PvP imbalance mechanic, then no, don't use it, even if the devs have been silent. Don't be a jerk and ruin the game and fun for other players. Leno Reba writes in and says, Okay, in alpha. Might show possible bigger design issues, but exploits never okay in release games, especially with progression persistence. Beer for the Beer God chimes in and says, Never not exploit. If it's legal, you do it, because you can be damn sure someone else will. Big Rhino 1995 says, Never to exploit. That leads to griefing and a bad player experience, which is bad for the game. Trendane writes in and says, I would say that if the devs know about an exploit and do nothing to fix it, that is tantamount to endorsing its use. IQ Fish says, yes, I play Rust and it helps a ton. Nimrod77 says, long-time listener, first-time caller, great show, guys. Thanks, Nimrod. I agree with Kinshadow's sentiment. A core part of the game in Star Citizen is the PvP mechanic. There will always be a risk-reward for mining, salvaging, transporting through dangerous space. These play into the risk-reward balance. 
Higher risk usually means higher reward. This risk-reward is on both sides of the law. If you're a pirate, the most profitable booty might be in the high security system, and they would have to take the risk to steal it. Just as a law-abiding hauler might make more money hauling cargo to an unsecured system and risk being jumped by pirates. This is gameplay, not trolling. Saying otherwise plays into the Care Bear Syndrome and takes away from the realistic, believable nature of the universe that is trying to be created in my opinion. Using the most effective weapons in these situations to either defend or attack during the aforementioned activities on both sides of the law is again gameplay and knowing what works, not trolling. Now if someone was spawn camping and killing players in a manner that did not allow them to take action, running or standing and fighting for example, that would count as trolling in my mind. The devs of Star Citizen have said that this kind of behavior will be dealt with by the systems that will be in place. Police, jail time, etc. Trolling also would include exploits using unintended behaviors to their advantage or deliberate hacking. Sean Newboy writes in and has more words than wonderful show, everyone. As for the actual exploits, this is bad. Using an appropriate system is not an exploit as Nimrod77 explains above. I have never used exploits in MMOs before, but there has been no monetary reward for doing so either in the games that I have played, and I can't say that I never would. If I got slammed by someone else exploiting, I might pass on the pain. That would be a bad thing, but all but the best of us do bad things from time to time. Saeldian writes in and says, I agree with Nimrod77 and Kinshadow mostly. To be clear, I hate griefers, but griefing is deliberately ruining a person's game experience without any in-game reasons to do it. An exploit is a broken part of the game, and it's the developer's fault and problem. Using the game's mechanics as they are intended in the example given, guns that seem to be OP, is not griefing in my opinion. It's actually knowing the meta and leveraging it to your advantage. Although it seems that the group in question had a reputation for griefing, therefore this example would certainly seem to be just another instance of them doing more of that griefing. If I, a non-griefer, used the same weapons and blew everyone out of the sky, well, that's what the game allows me to do. Sure, they may have used this opportunity to do something noble by drawing tangible attention to the problem while feeding their desire to grief. It seems to have worked. The developers saw the imbalance and are working to fix it. In every game, there will be people who identify exploits or broken aspects and take advantage of them, sometimes at the expense of others. The Division had a huge problems with this. A game is balanced when the good guys have the same opportunities to shut down the griefers as the griefers have to grief. I hope Star Citizen and Elite implement reporting, reputation, and other systems to help identify griefers and deal with them through bans, giving them their own servers, etc. Paul A. writes, Imbalance should always be exploited for all the above. I want to exploit the mechanics to punish the developers for not playtesting their game better so they can do better in the future, and because it's fun, not necessarily to make people feel bad. So this didn't have a lot of middle ground. Most people were coming down pretty firmly on one side or the other. Yeah, and, and I guess it goes into your definitions, you know, like with Nimrod, trolling, griefing, they're, you know, they some use the words interchangeable, but, but they're really totally two different activities in a game. While it, why we are beta testers or alpha testers or whatever, running the exploits in my mind is, is great as long as the exploits are being reported and the devs are aware of the exploits and taking care of the of said exploits in some manner. Once a game is released and in a persistent universe, I think that 
anyone who takes whether or not they're actively doing it to another player, I think they're breaking any kind of implied TOS that may be in place. And they are guilty of cheating and therefore should, you know, appropriate actions should be taken. Yeah, that's the problem with this sort of scenario is it it's more based on motivation than any sort of tangible recordable activity. Because like you said, you could have two people using an exploit and one's legitimately attempting to assist the testers and examine the data and the other one just enjoys the fact that he can blow away whoever he wants with minimal consequences. Yeah, it goes both ways. I think that's evident in the feedback that we got. People really feel strongly one way or the other. Okay, in general feedback, Sharketeer, is that Mouseketeer only with sharks? Sharketeer said, Hello, I've been a listener for two years, but recently I personally have been disappointed with the amount of Star Citizen news that has fallen into the news we didn't use. I looked for other SC podcasts to listen to, and after checking out all the major ones, I realized they're just not good radio like the Guard is. So now I'm a supporter on Patreon. Yay! To me, it made sense that if I want to see change in guard frequency, I should try to help instead of be negative. With all that said, I do enjoy the coverage of other games, and I will likely buy Elite Dangerous soon. The way you guys talk about it makes it sound fun, and I love the idea of the Neutron Highway. I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's episode. Also, I still love the idea of guard frequencies, Hope, Class, and Deborah headquarters. Ken from Chicago wrote in and said, Wrong, Jeff. You and everyone else who has even hosted Guard Frequency have been reporters. You are reporting and editorializing game news. Yes, reporters can have opinions. The problem is when reporters hide their opinions and it affects their news coverage. You are transparent about how you feel so the audience can judge your reports and editorials in light of your preferences. That all said, keep up the great work. Oh, thanks for putting that in perspective, Ken. I really appreciate that. Commander Loriath says, but fedoras, the real asshats are putting keys to emails. Expect retribution. The chive says it hasn't happened yet. Shiv. The shiv says it hasn't happened yet. My bad. <laughs> How long have you been doing oh this? Oh my gosh, I'm just trying to read and not screw up. <laughs> I wanted to thank Sharketeer for his words. Let you know, if we lack Star Citizen coverage, it's because there is lack of, of things to report on Star Citizen. I hope you realize that. We love Star Citizen. We want to, you know, it is the fort. It got us here. So it's not that we're not trying to not report on Star Citizen. Yeah, one thing to note that came up in discussions off air earlier this week, that a lot of the news out of Star Citizen right now is going over visual improvements and visual development that they're doing and the problem for us is that talking about something that looks really cool isn't very good radio because we sort of can just go oh that looks awesome you should go see the video and that's sort of the extent of what we can say you know what though it is worth saying the new stuff does look really awesome and they should go see the video yeah <laughs> i'd like to address something ken from chicago said uh, drawn a distinction between reporters and editorializing I'd like to say there is a difference between a reporter and an editor who's going to editorialize, and, and that's important because reporters are supposed to just give you facts so you can make your own decisions. You know, they're not supposed to influence what you think about the news. They're supposed to give you the news. And what's different with what we do is we're talking about it because we're excited about it. We put, I don't want to say spin on it, but we put our own flavor to it. You know, we, we talk about how we feel about it, and that is different from reporting. You know, you don't really get straight news from, from editorializing. I think you get more than that. 
And this week's community question, is fully destructible universe with freeform construction the key to endlessly emerging gameplay and player engagement, or does it impose unacceptable limits on fidelity and immersion? Does such a system have benefits or drawbacks that we didn't cover? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on over to our show thread on guardfrequency.com. And remember, if there's a space sim that's serving your space exploration, crafting, and survival needs, we want to hear about that too. So how was the show? Did we cover all our bases? Or are you just glad that the next week you'll get to be the host as it's a call-in show? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or you can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, shoot us an email at Squawk at GuardFrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 140 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 141 on October 18th, but we need all of you to call in on the 14th so the show has some content in it. Look for the TeamSpeak information on the website, and be sure to keep an eye out for our shows. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com live. We start recording around 10 o'clock p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 11.30 if you live in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. I hope I pronounced that right. And don't forget, next week is going to be a call-in show. So if there's any burning questions you've been dying to ask us, or if you just want to hear your voice on the best damn space sim podcast ever, then be sure to join us on our TeamSpeak channel on October 14th at 10 o'clock p.m. Central. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Yes, that's squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $8.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly draw to win some guard frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week and hope that you'll consider making a regular contribution because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call signs sections for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty low. Reduce thrust.
The mission will see the reusable Dream Chaser space vehicle launch into low Earth orbit with room for 20 to 50... 20, the UNOOSA is accepting proposals for experiments from any UN neighbor. The UNOOSA is accepting proposals for experiments with any UN member. Oh, God, why can't I? Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for October 7th, 2016. 120. Uh, Henry? Did you say something there? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm uh, speaking uh, on the live stream. Sorry, live stream, but I didn't hold the uh, talk button on uh, TeamSpeak. I apologize there. I'm going to give it another shot. Star Citizen Cancer. Let me try that again. Star Citizen canceled their usual The Verse shows in lieu of the CitizenCon live... You go, guys. Sell that call-in show. The Interceptor, Bomber, and Corvette Cockpot... If we have flying vaginas all around, then we're going to be ending up thinking we are in somebody's warped Henry Warhol painting. Wasn't it Andy Warhol? Didn't I say Andy? You said Henry Warhol. No, I, I said say, Andy I never Warhol. painted that, bud. <laughs> no, no, I said I said Andy Warhol. Goal time, etc. Uh, that that's actually jail. Jail time. I was gonna say, what is goal time? Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's that's the um, British. Spot. Oh, I didn't know that. That's neat. Sometimes it these I was doing so well. I hope Star Citizen and Elite implement reporting, reputation, and other systems to help identify. What, what just was happened? that? What was what? Thanks to our community master, master, yeah, like he needs his ego boosted up. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> please don't boost the ship. Venerate Ronald Jenkins, right? It is hard to ignore a space wiener.